This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That's weird. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just oh, okay. weird. Just, oh. I'm just, oh, okay. uh, there was a pause like it was like a technical issue or something again no i was like doing math in my head and so that oh, always oh, sounds yeah. like yeah yeah right <laughs> like no, record scratch yeah. mm-hmm. um, we'll all hold our breaths while while you do the minuses and pluses absolutely. <laughs> yeah anytime there's a pause it's like oh <laughs> she's doing her figures again she's yeah. working on her figures <laughs> i think least. like whichever animal has more of a human eye is the more meat version so like pigs have closer human pigs eyes are, pigs are closer to yeah people, so than cows yeah cows just have straight up you know animal eyes <laughs> <laughs> and that's our podcast everyone Definitely we talk try. about how you have to earn your curse words that's our thing in our house is like curse words are earned how much and generally they're so, earned so, so what after... do you have to do for like one shit like what, yeah. what do i have to do you gotta to earn, earn that one? man you can't just throw it out there what, and the, the like best what, shove, is... shoveling the walk or something or my, like what do i have to do <laughs> my kids will never do enough work to earn it so it's it's easy oh. never okay so it's just easy to be like well I so don't, you know. you're raising lazy but polite children right <laughs> listen one out of two ain't bad yeah yeah <laughs> one out of two ain't bad i'm doing my sums again I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer Butt. Welcome, buttheads. I don't know why I just really emphasized the butt there, but I'm feeling I'm feeling the butt. With us is Dmitry Samarov, who paints and writes in Chicago. He's the author and illustrator of six books. He sends out a newsletter every Monday. An absurd amount of his work is collected at his website, DmitrySamarov.com, which is 17 years old now. Damn. Welcome, Dmitry. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you for being on. All right. What are you going to read? Okay, so I'm going to read uh, a short uh, thing from a book that I'm about to send uh, to the printers. <gasps> Hopefully this this week or next. Uh, who's publishing it? Me. All <laughs> awesome. right. Same guy who's published the last couple. And, uh, you know, it, it may be the last one. I don't know. We'll see. You had one I'm on sort Tortoise, of a, though, uh, right? Yeah, well, yeah. The Tortoise, is. it was a sort of a collaboration thing. Okay, uh, cool. And, uh, yeah, I guess me and Alex are on the same label. That's true. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cool, Brad. Uh, yeah, but that that was the first book uh, that I sort of made soup to nuts myself, like designed and found the printer and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I've been doing. Uh, this is now the fourth one, the one I'm about to send. And, but it's the first that is being officially called fiction because <gasps> it has to be because I changed names and stuff. Mm. Because, I, because, you know... You, you have to protect the guilty and have plausible <laughs> deniability and all that shit, you know, <laughs> but the, the book, so the book is called old style and it's set in two bars in Chicago between nine 11 and the plague. What bars, what bars? Uh, one is real and one is a composite okay. made up okay. one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I'll just read this. I'm not going to say the name of this chapter because it's, it would kind of screw up 
well, you'll give away what it's about, but okay. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say the name afterwards. So here I go. Yay. Can I ask a weird question? Is this place haunted? She came in with a big wedding party. They're all near the back of the bar by the photo booth. Three tables pushed together, laughing, drinking, taking pictures. She wanders up to the bar by herself, steps out of sparkling high heels, leaving them on the floor by the ice machine, and plops down on a bar stool. She stares through the mirror, somewhere past the liquor bottles, storage room to the empty lot past the long shuttered currency exchange. She twirls an unlit cigarette between her fingers while sipping at her drink. She asks about, about ghosts again. No, I say, I've never seen any. Uh, but this has been a bar for a hundred years, so unsettled spirits wouldn't be out of place. I make a lame joke about the only spirits around here being trapped in bottles, which doesn't register with her at all. She says it's a 13-year-old boy and points at several spots around the room where she sees him. She begins to get upset that neither Eber, the doorman, nor I see what she sees. We reassure her that we're not mocking her. She, she asks my name and says hers is Elroy. I don't ask her if her parents named her after the writer of The Big Nowhere. She asks where I grew up and when I tell her Boston, she gives me a knowing look. Honest answer, I used to be a sex worker in Vermont. I went to Waltham, Brockton, Burlington all the time. She tries repeatedly to maintain eye contact, gauging what effect her revelations are having. When I come back, she's guessed Eber's sign. She nods slowly and reveals that he has tr a troubled relationship with his grandmother. He plays along wanting her to hear more about the 13 year old ghost haunting our bar. Next time I return, she looks deep into my eyes and asks how I'm doing. When I say I'm doing fine, she doesn't believe me. Then she orders an old fashioned. But don't make it too sweet. I want it extra bitter with bullet rye. Then she asks Eber if he can score her some Coke. She says we're disrespecting the ghost by not acknowledging it. What's the best shot? Okay, give me a whiskey. She takes a sip, then pushes it towards Eber and wanders outside to smoke. She wants another whiskey 15 minutes later, but I tell her the time for shots has passed. She badgers Eber about cocaine some more. Her fellow wedding revelers leave and she follows. Eber is disappointed when I tell him she was a prostitute. He thought when she said he was cute, she was being sincere. After I close the bar, I notice her sparkly heels still sitting on the floor by the ice machine. I leave a note for Lon about Cinderella leaving her slippers. Maybe she'll come back for them. In the meantime, her 13-year-old ghost can keep watch until they're safely back on her feet. So that's that's called Ghost Hooker. <gasps> that's, it's from uh, old style, forthcoming from Pictures and Blather, which is what I, I call my press, which is just a thing for putting out my own books. Awesome. <laughs> I was going to ask you if she had a green ribbon tied around her neck. Mm. Because <laughs> I was like, she is definitely a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows which, what she was. But so like, as I was saying before, uh, yeah, I have to call this, I have to call this fiction, but uh I didn't have to make anything up that's in this book. There's wow. some some comp composite people, which is weird, weird to do. And I've never done before. But uh, yeah, I didn't have to make anything up. What made you um, make them into composites? Like, what was that impulse? Well, uh, when, once I started, uh, when I when I made up the bar. Mm -hmm. So one bar is real. Uh, and both of the bars are bars I worked at for, mm -hmm. for real, you know, but, uh, one is, one is closed and been reopened several times by their owners. So, it, and that's the one that, uh, was at just after nine 11. So, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago and the one that's more in the present, uh, 
is one uh, that will, well, maybe will reopen who, who knows at this point, but uh, it's based on a couple of other bars that I worked at and uh, to make some of the timelines fit, I guess. Mm. And, and uh, because uh, I, basically the big through line is everything, mostly everything that happens in this book happens within these bars, you know, Mm -hmm. there's some tangents, but everything's based around these places. So Mm -hmm. that that's probably partly why I had to have composites. And then also because, because yeah, these, the episodes get, get repetitive and uh, you know, I, instead of having three different women, you know, dump me, I had one woman dump me, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I ask because I'm so interested in these connections that you can kind of come upon as you're, as you're writing through something that you might not have Mm. seen before. And, and that might, you know, lend itself to being a composite or, and, some of it also is uh, me thinking about the actual people that I'm writing about and how much do I want to anger them? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have to take away some of their attributes and give them some other ones, you know? I know Are these people a- that you know will read the, read the work for sure? Uh, some of them probably will. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I knew I had to write this book, uh, just because that's that's been my sort of side hustle the last five years and on and off. It's always been a service industry for me, but mm-hmm. I've been working in a bar the last, well, for five years until the shutdown, mm-hmm. uh, until last March. Uh, so, and then I'd worked at this other bar about 20 years ago and I, I wrote, I made a zine about it about 12, 13 years ago. And it kind of hung around my, sort of consciousness as a thing that I thought might be elaborated upon. And that's, so it's come back. (laughs) So you've always had jobs talking to people. It sounds like it seems like just always facing customers, always in conversation, the cab, the bars. Is it, have you ever wanted to do something other than that as far as like just kind of squirrel away at a desk or something, or are you, do you really prefer being out with people? Uh, I, I don't know that I prefer being out with people, but I've had uh, these, these service industry jobs since I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like I got my first job when I was like, you know, 14 or 15 in a bakery and I've had these, these retail or service restaurant bar kind of jobs forever. And then, I mean, what I've done since I was a little kid was, uh, was drawing and painting. And I knew that, that's not any way to make a living in the society. So I knew I'd have to work somewhere. And I just, I, I tried, uh, I tried one, I want, I tried to go to grad school for painting and I dropped out after one semester because I was just done with being in school. And I, mm. I decided that I didn't want to be a teacher mm-hmm. and that's the only reason to be there. Uh, unless you need motivation to make art, you know, mm-hmm. because in painting, for a lot of people like grad school is the last time they ever make their art because they have that supportive environment. And once they they're out of the cocoon and nobody cares about what they're doing, they stop, you know, that's true for writing that, too. I find that, it is? you know, like okay. if you're not, if someone's not like, Hey, you, you owe me some pages or, Hey, you know, yeah. like um, let's talk about what you worked on. Then that yeah. sort of falls away. Right. Like they, they got so their bizarre. fill of it. Hmm. It's funny, yeah, because ha, bo- did both of you guys go to MFA programs or? Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. went to the Art Institute. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. just like you. Yeah, I, I went writing. for undergrad. Though. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I, and I went to only to undergrad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, for for painting. But uh, I, uh, I've, yeah, I mean, I've never even I've never taken a writing class and writing came in my into my life much later. So if I guess I qualify to be on this podcast, not because I don't have any kids and I'm mm-hmm. no longer married, but uh, I didn't start out being a writer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never taken a writing class. <laughs> You're a writer, but you've never yeah. taken a writing class. No, and I think that's yeah. more and more. I think that's, you know, there's like a, a, a big discussion happening. I think that's always going on about do I need an MFA? You know, like I I write and it's important to me and I'm making these books, but I don't have an MFA. So does that mean I'm not a writer? And it's absolutely, you are a writer, right? Like there's no correct path. 
No, definitely not. I, I guess mean, not, to... but it, it, yeah, it wasn't. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just saying for a lot of these jobs now to teach, you need a PhD. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's all, it's all crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you, yeah, yeah. Those are all, but that, yeah, the academic whole thing, that's a whole other discussion. Whole those other are just, thing. those are completely artificial made up barriers. You don't, you don't need totally. any of those degrees at all. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm glad you brought uh, up barriers <laughs> because I want you to talk about um, the fact that you self-publish your stuff, that you make it yourself mm-hmm. and you hustle it yourself. Is that because of <laughs> like feeling like you have to push up against those kinds of gatekeepers and barriers and stuff? Well, I, well, one of the things that happened was, so I had a, like a charm, basically like a charmed experience with my first book hack, which came out in 2011. Mm-hmm. It came out from university of Chicago press and they came to me to publish a book. It's amazing. And I didn't, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was like, you know, total Cinderella story. I prior, you know, because I had had a blog and I had, uh, I'd made these zines about being a cab driver and somebody there uh, heard about it and they pitched it, you know, to their bosses and it went through. And ever since then, it's just been like, you know, one comeuppance after another, you know, like it's, it's, it seems like backwards, like you're supposed to like go up from, I don't know. With me. So this, the second book came out uh, from a press with whose name I'm not going to say, but it was run by a crook. Mm. And, and uh, I think we could guess. I was, I, I was quoted in an article about it. I'm not like, it's not a secret, but right. kind of like our former president saying the name is just free publicity, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- I had that experience and also dealing with, uh, you know, a place that was completely mismanaged, run by a couple of well meaning people. Like they did the actual work, but then like there was a book designer who didn't own a copy of InDesign, so he mashed all the text in my book, and it, so it looked like a compound German word, you know. And oh it took my God. Like four four of us to disentangle it. So after that, I knew that I could fuck up my own book my own way, you know, better <laughs> than that. Yeah. So I knew I knew at least at that point that I I could I wanted to try designing it. But then, yeah, after the second book, you know, there was a five-year gap where I couldn't get uh, anybody interested in anything I wrote, couldn't get an agent. I've never had an agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of that. Like, it was just like totally howling into the void, you know, up until um, sometime in 2018 when uh, I pitched uh, Jerry a Tortoise about this, uh, this weird music book idea that I had, which is collecting 30 years of sketches I did of bands playing and co- like with connected kind of memories. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful but, book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So that's the that, first book I designed. I, I found the press. I did like, I did, I did the whole thing, you know, like if you I like that re- book, you'll like my books. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really pops on the shelf. I remember seeing, I can't remember if I was at Jerry's place picking something up or what it was, but I uh, saw it and I was like, what is that? And, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, so well, yeah, and uh, but going through that process sort of uh, gave me the last uh, push I needed to self-publish because I always thought like so many people do that it's like a you know it's a step down and it's sort of like a, a vanity thing and it's not real you know mm. so to make to just self-publish but at this point and with the tiny press like Jerry's, you know, it's right. not like he has this huge promotional reach where he can get things reviewed places or placed on bookshelves. And then there was the added uh, issue of it being a hardcover book produced independently of his usual channels. So that book up until very recently wasn't available on in any distribution system at all. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Yeah. So there's a a lot of steep learning curves involved, but on the flip side, you know, I have, I figured out a, a a very economical way to produce good looking books. If, if, if I'm willing to do all the work myself, you know, it it sounds (laughs) like it's similar to like, it's, it's art making, right? Like it's, yes. It's, it's, it's bringing it back to a scale and a, a format that I understand. So yeah, my books are basically 
they're kind of like limited edition prints with some words in them mm-hmm. <laughs> because they all have art in them. And that's, that's where that's, I can't imagine making a book without art in it. It's what I come from, you know, mm-hmm. it's what I understand. So uh, yeah, it's sort of, it's a little bit different than I guess the average writer, uh, my relationship why, to books. Why you know. do you think you pair words with your, with your, with your art? Why? Yeah. Well, because I because I think in images, and I think my my default way of you know self expression or whatever dealing with the world really is drawing and painting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's always where it starts. It was much later that I realized that I could actually put words together. I was always a reader. I grew up in a family in like a house filled with books. My my father is like the biggest reader I know, but. Uh, I never, you know, I didn't take a writing class. I never went to college. I went to art school, you know. What was the, uh, what was that first, same. that impulse, that first impulse to think this, this goes with a story or this goes with an essay or a, or a piece of memoir? What, oh, you know. It, it, it totally came out of driving a cab. So I, I drove a cab for 12 years and uh, the first go around was in Boston. Right after I graduated from the Art Institute, I moved back to Boston and my first job out of art school was driving a cab, like a year after I'd only learned to drive. So, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, oh my I went, you know, zero. This is the way I do things. Yeah, there's kind of a no in between. Uh, so, <laughs> and I spent three years in Boston driving a cab, uh, then eventually moved back to Chicago. And uh, around the year 2000 or so, like I had these, I kept having these stories eating at me, these things that happened in the cab. And I didn't know, I knew that I couldn't just do drawings about them. So I got a manual typewriter, uh, a Smith Corona, which I still use for art. Like if wow. you look at my website, all the text on it, yes. it's, done with the Smith, it's done with a Smith Corona, which, which is then scanned. And then like, then I put hotspots in it for links and stuff. It's really, really tedious and old school, <laughs> <laughs> the way I do everything. But uh, it's, it looks like a zine. You know, yeah. like it's, it's, yeah. it's cool. Right. So, but yeah, I, I, I originally got that typewriter uh, to make a zine, uh, which I called hack. And uh, it was mostly drawings, but with like a sentence or two on each page mm-hmm. about my three years uh, driving a cab. And then a couple of years after that, I started driving a cab again in Chicago and revived hack as a blog. And then it went from there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What's the difference between driving a cab in Boston and, and driving a cab in Chicago? They're really different, but I was also kind of two different people. Uh, I mean, in Boston, I was, you know, from 23 to 26, 27. In Chicago, I was 33 to 42. Right. So I sort of had, I was in different, different parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Chicago's built, was built for cars, whereas Boston's built for, you know, cows and courses. <laughs> There's no straight streets. I spent half my time t- giving out of towners directions, you know, mm. and it's also just a big overgrown college town. There's all these college kids there. It's a huge transient population and uh, like to play tricks on cab drivers. It's really annoying. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. Like pile in like nine, 10 kids, you know, and then <sighs> give, give like a 50 cent tip, that kind oh, of my stuff. Gosh. It, was, it was obnoxious. Uh, uh, yeah, very different. Uh, so Boston, like all public transportation would stop at one. So people that were out at bars would be stuck. So there was yeah. a, a, so it was like a, it was, it was a pretty good way to make a living. Although, but on the flip side, Boston's much more expensive than Chicago. So, mm. you know, uh, yeah, really different. Uh, but also, so yeah, also when I first drove um, in Boston was, the very first time that like cell phones were, they were trying out cell phones, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had a cell phone that where I'd have this external antenna that I had to like uh, put on top of my car Whoa. reception. <laughs> it was a bag phone like that you would plug into the cigarette adapter uh-huh. for power. So, and I use it just for business, just for calls, you know? So there's that, like the, the technology developed so quickly afterwards, you know, uh, and then, yeah, by the time I got 
started doing it in Chicago was started to become ubiquitous. And then uh, the year I quit 2012 was the year that Uber came into oh my gosh. Chicago. So wow. was, that was the, that was the end. <laughs> Every yeah, like technology. I got out, I got out in time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. You knew. Every yeah. um, like technology, like new piece of technology that comes out, I always without fail think that's stupid. I'm never going to do that. And I mm-hmm. thought that about iPods. I thought that about um, cell phones, yeah. Ubers, sure. <laughs> just like, this is so yeah. dumb. Who needs these? And then I'm like, let me call an Uber <laughs> mm-hmm. from my cell phone. Yep. I actually can't, I can't call an Uber because I quit, I quit smartphones about six years ago. Oh, wow. oh good for you, got, man. Yeah. I got, yeah, I went backward. Like I made a, I made a stand. It was the same year that I quit social media. It was, mm. uh, and I, th- I really think it, it saved my sanity because that was right around the time, the ramp up to the previous election. Oh my God. Ugh. Yep. So I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, like for once I did the smart thing. I always tell people you'd be surprised like how easy it is to get off of these social media websites. Like I remember thinking like, how am I going to stay in touch with people if I don't have Facebook and then just getting off of Facebook and being like, Oh, I just don't go on Facebook anymore. It's fine. (laughs) Like, and the same thing. Well, you do, you, you do find out who your actual friends are. That's right. Right. (laughs) And And it's also just like, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of like other people's psychological baggage that you're just lumping onto your own back and shoulders just by scrolling so stressful it is it's like this uh, person's sad oh that person's funny oh no that's sad oh this is funny and it's like (laughs) and yeah people get mad at you like i was so thankful the minute i didn't have to like like anything ever again or follow anybody (laughs) like i don't have to follow or like anything yep except if i actually want to follow them or like them Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) when i like you i follow you (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, sort of similar to like, you know, getting into driving a cab after just learning how to drive. Like I, when I, I was on Twitter, I put seven years in on Twitter. Mm. I was in the salt mines of Twitter, full on, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that I'd get up and scroll through my timeline from when I was asleep. You know, mm. like that's how compulsive I am about that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why it has to be completely taken away. I can't, I can't uh, manage it, you know, or kind of like be casual about it. So I hear that like just to turn it off. There were nights when I would be up with the babies and I would mm-hmm. scroll so much on Twitter that I would re- I would literally reach the end. <laughs> there was like yes. nothing. And I would like refresh yes. and just mm-hmm. hope and pray yeah, that yeah. someone was up at 2 a.m., and was going to tweet, you know, and it's like, there's, you just feel like such <laughs> like an empty shell, like refresh, refresh. Need to cultivate those friends in China and India and Australia, yeah. people in other <laughs> time right. zones. Then, then yeah. you Real just, message. You, you need to you, diversify you, your friend group. You, internationally. you never have to go to sleep. You could just keep refreshing forever. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is really good <laughs> advice. And I thank you both for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dimitri, how would you want people to describe your art? Oh boy. Uh, oh, you know, you can't pigeonhole me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, mostly it's what I, what I have been doing or was doing for most of my life is uh, kind of drawing or painting from life from observ- direct observation. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of cityscapes or uh, like the rooms I live in or the people I know. Uh, yeah. I, basically looking at things and trying to draw or paint them. That's, that's, that's how I'm you would want people to describe this artist looks at things and tries to draw or paint them. Yes. Dimitri. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's the movement of art that I belong to. <laughs> that's awesome. It's well, honest. It's, it's real. Kind of, similarly to when we were talking about how, like, where like, uh, what fiction is or like making things up. Like I don't make anything up. I don't think I have an imagination. Like, I just, I, I really subscribe to that whole school of thought that you're like a, an artist or a writer is sort of a channel or, mm-hmm. you know, a conductor of things that come through them or, you know, and your job is to kind of spit them back out, hopefully not too distorted, you know, or but your art is so distinctive. Editorialized. 
Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you could describe it better than me. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the artist is the worst person to ask, really. I, I, I love it because you... <laughs> it makes me very happy that you answered that way in sort of like a deadened, you know, like, like, how could you ask me this way? Because that you're right. That's, I feel the same way if someone asks me about my stuff. It's like, yeah. I like, know. yeah. When they, be funny. When, well, yeah. Well, some person that that's never read anything asks you, "What kind of what, what do you write?" <laughs> yeah, you'd just be like, "I don't know. I'm I even thinking about this. I just want to die." <laughs> well, I mean, the, the unsaid thing too is the best part about you know any kind you know painting, drawing, whatever. You don't have to just here. It is here. It is. It's right. I here. know that's the beauty. I, that, of it. I love that. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah, you guys should go on Dimitri's website because he has tons of his work on his website. The cityscapes, yeah, ten, I mean, ten trillion yeah, pieces it's, of art. It's yeah. all yeah, right and, there. And the real, the real heads, the real butt heads know that we did post some of Dimitri's. Uh, That's Shel right, Silverstein portraits. That's right. Oh, thanks ago. for doing that. Because he's a sex freak. In case you guys forgot. That's right, but he didn't know that because he's not on social media. So. Oh no, no! I asked <laughs> his permission. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good girl. No, I, I can, I, I can. I'll, I'll every now and again look look up other people's things just for for context and stuff. Like, I mean, you know, Twitter you can look at without being a member. Like Instagram, totally. you can't. Facebook, you mostly can't, which is just fine. Facebook, you know, nobody should ever have no. anything to do with Facebook. Skip. Uh, <laughs> but true. yeah, I mean, like because yeah, before coming on this show, I kind of wanted to see what you guys were what the banter was, you know, sure. about. So, so I, I looked, looked at the, the Twitter feed and stuff and saw what kind of jokes you like to tell and stuff. Oh, I'm so God, sorry. I, feel so red. I just feel <laughs> shame. I feel deep shame, but back to what you were saying, Dimitri, about, you know, like tapping into a channel or, you know, how, mm -hmm. the way you yeah. think about your art. Uh, it, it's so funny because when I was looking at your website, the way that you have your art organized was so, pleasing to me and i think i would have been able to maybe guess that you were going to describe it in this way just the fact that it's like there's such a matter of fact presentation where it's like okay here's the rooms here's the cityscapes here's there's book i mean just the fact yeah. that it's like you didn't dress it up at all it's like if this is what you want to look at here it is and it, yeah. and there's also seems to be like an inherent promise in that like and there's going to be more of this it's like i don't know i, I love yeah. that about it just there was a kind of direct no nonsense approach well, I thanks really... i mean but i mean the thing with you know visual art with drawings paintings whatever is you don't want too many words or explanations around them because a either that means that they're not working they're mm. not doing what they're supposed to do or what the artist says will so color or influence the way you see it that you won't actually be looking at it anymore you know what right. i mean totally. dimitri i think what you mean is show don't tell yes which if you had been hey, in see, if, if, yeah if i if i'd gotten a fucking you would have heard mfa thousand times seminar whatever what do you call the support groups Who or knows, what are they yeah. called it's all the same workshops yeah. works yes that's the word support yeah. groups <laughs> support groups if only if only yeah <laughs> i'm i'm actually i mean because because i didn't do any of that stuff and came to sort of publishing and writing later in life uh, i've definitely been on a crash course of like reading and listening to all the podcasts and reading all the articles because i'm sort of fascinated by the whole thing mm -hmm. you, even the, the you know the the writing programs but all of it uh but i i completely feel either out of my depth or disconnected from it the only time i really feel connected with it for a minute or two is when, you know, I, I review books as part of the way I make my living. And, and then like for the, that brief second, publishers are interested in, you know, I'm important to them for about two minutes <laughs> until they get extract the blurb for their paper, the paperback edition of their book, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's a fun game to play. Actually. I've, I've done enough of them that I've found them where I'm, I'm Chicago Tribune or, Chicago reader on the back of some books. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the nicer me. ones actually, the nicer ones actually put your name on, but a lot of them don't. Oh, you can change your name, right? <laughs> to Chicago my name Tribune. is Chicago Tribune. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sometimes I go by Chicago no, but, reader. No, no. <laughs> uh, but so what uh, you're asking, uh, Lindsay, before about like the whole self-publishing racket, what's What's been your experience with like, you know, you were, you were at a major publishing house. Yeah. Was that 
well, would you I say lucky. net net positive or <laughs> you know what it was i was i feel very lucky because when i when i published with featherproof i was great friends with um zach and jonathan and mainly zach and i worked on it together and so it felt like mm. we were making it together and when yeah. i moved to um fsg i was and am friends with my editor um emily bell who's actually just left fsg for zando um and so it also felt like something that i was like working on with someone that I trusted and, and loved and who I felt, you know, loved me as well. And, um, but it's, you know, it's definitely different, like going from an indie to a, to a bigger house. I mean, like they're more of a, you know, like an old school, traditional, like uh, PR type of thing. Like it's kind of hard for them. If you don't live in New York, they don't really, you know, (laughs) like they're kind of befuddled. Um, whereas I feel like the smaller presses are like, let's make a, let's make a tour, you know, like, let's, let's hook you Mm -hmm. up with these writers in these cities. And let's, you know, like there's a lot more like nimbleness, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. but in terms of like the actual making of the book, um, I just felt, I felt super lucky in both, in both instances because I had someone I, you know, I trusted. Um, but, but trying to make new books, (laughs) And get through the gatekeepers. Um, that's that's a mind fuck, um, you know. Right. Like, it's it's weird how yeah you'd think that you'd have you have a track record and you would get some kind of you know cred or whatever, and and then you find out you don't. Yeah, because like, if that's your book I, doesn't make doesn't you know like if you get an advance and your book doesn't make the advance back, uh, then yeah. that's you know then that's a death sentence and it happens so freaking often to people. Um, yeah. So that can be, and I, I've, I've had those thoughts myself, like, well, I just want to make something like, why mm-hmm. am I waiting around? I just want to yeah. make something. And right. I think that's my impulse for um, like why I force Alex and I to read in every mm-hmm. episode because mm-hmm. yeah, I just want to keep making. Well, what would, uh, what would uh, get you to jump through that or like do that? Like how many, like would it take like X number of rejections to just put out a book? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've asked myself the same thing. I think part of it is like, I actually don't have time to make my own book right now, yeah. but I hopefully will one day. Um, my, some, I was talking to someone and they said, as a joke, they were like, huh, about someone else self-publishing on Amazon. And I was like, but that's legit. Like, yeah, <laughs> self-publishing on Amazon is is actually pretty great. Also, I mean, qual- quality-wise, as far as like most books, even the the big houses now are, have gone to this print-on-demand model. Right. Most a lot of them are doing it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these books look like garbage, whether no matter what's the size of the press, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, what I'm doing is sort of like a weird hybrid mix of things because I'm going to a a printer and ordering uh, my, my books are in uh, runs of 750. Mm. That's the, because that's the smallest run they'll do because for the kind of book I want with, which is with the hardcover and stuff and this foil stamping, like these doodads and stuff that I need, you know, making it all fancy and Mm -hmm. shit. But, uh, But it's, it's surprisingly affordable, but yeah, you do have to come up with a sum of money up front. Yeah. But, uh, the trade-off is that per unit per book, it's much much cheaper, like really? to, to order a bunch of books in advance. Yeah, is yeah, it like, a Chicago printer, Dimitri? No, it's a Michigan printer. Michigan? It's, it's a it's a printer named uh, McNaughton and Gun. They're really cool. They're they're nice. near Ann Arbor. Uh, oh, I cool. love Ann Arbor. But they, I mean, they deal with a lot of indie press. They they print a lot of stuff. I know they've done some featherproof stuff. I know they also worked for the press uh, where my second book came out, and that press still owes them money. Oh wow! Because they owe everybody money, and they stole from people. And I think know. we all, like everyone listening, knows <laughs> what press you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can you can make it a contest on uh, on Twitter. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, let, we'll let, we'll let's donate. I'll. I'll, I'll <laughs> No, I'll, I'll donate a book to to your favorite charity if you know. <laughs> there you go, guys. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, there is a way to do this uh, if if you adjust your ex- expectations and play a longer game. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I have a house. Like, I have a lot of boxes of books in my house right now, mm-hmm. but I'm also not. 
I don't need to sell them all right away. And uh, uh, I'm, I have faith that I'll eventually get rid of all of them. The music book is almost gone. Uh, it, it took longer because of the shutdown and some other things, but uh, uh, yeah, but if, if you do all, a lot of this stuff yourself, uh, the, the costs are not exorbitant, you know, and you're splitting whatever you make with far fewer people. That's also another big factor. You know? That's cool. And yeah, it, so, it also probably yeah. feels good to be making those aesthetic decisions yourself, especially as an artist, right? Like yeah, yeah. not having to compromise on that. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like with, with the first book, you know, I mean, University of Chicago Press is not a fly by night operation. They, they do a great job. And mm-hmm. I mean, de- dealing with them was sort of my grad school because I'd never been really edited before. I went through, you know, it's how, it's where I learned how to put together a book and they, they had, you know, very, very professional people that had been at it their whole life. And I made, you know, I made some connections through that. Like to this day, uh, I, the copy editor on that book is copy editing old style for that's me. Awesome. Wow. And I'm trading artwork with her. Like, that's what we do. I barter wow. artwork for, for copy editing services. Uh, awesome. So I, I, yeah, it, it's not like I just slap a bunch of words into a word document and then send it off to the printers. I do have actual like professionals go over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never is, would have accused not, you of that. <laughs> this is not 50 shades of gray four or whatever. <laughs> oh, if only, right. Yeah, I know. We could start our own press with all that money. That's what, it's not funny that like, yeah, all the like quote unquote real writers sneer at, you know, self-publishing Meanwhile, there's this woman that is more successful than any five million of them will ever yeah. be. You know, and it was like Twilight fanfic, slash fic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. It's a just yeah, unbelievable sex fantasy. But, yeah. you know, fiction. Yeah, that's all it was. That's yeah. the ticket. That is the yeah. ticket. I can write a dirty book. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Dimitri. Yeah. If people want to stalk you and follow you and like you, <clears throat> they should just go to your website. They can go to my website and they, they, they can subscribe to my newsletter, which, oh, yeah. yeah, that that was the thing. So when I quit uh, social media, like uh, I'd already been doing a sporadic uh, newsletter, mm-hmm. but then I, I poured all my soapbox energies into this uh, newsletter, which... I've been doing every Monday for almost almost six years now, six wow. years. Uh, but uh, late last year, I switched it from Tiny Letter to Substack, which oh, you know, now modern. I'm reading. Well, I'm reading all the shit about Substack where it, like it's supposed to mean something, and it, people sneer at that or whatever. But it allows people to sign up and pay. Basically, yeah. you don't have to, but like, so so you know, I, I've got like 350 subscribers, but like Dang. 40 of them, pay, 40 of them have decided to pay me money, which is nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I do that. That's at samarov.substack.com. And uh, cool. the free one comes out every Monday. And if you pay, you get another one or two more a week. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that that should so do much. it. <laughs> and we're excited <laughs> for you. old style to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully in April. We'll see. Let us know. We'll, we'll hype it. I will. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Dimitri. Um, that was great. It was fun. Yeah, it was totally fun. His stuff is unreal. I know. I couldn't believe when he's like, I don't know. I just like make things as they look. It's also like got such an it like re, the the stuff that is it it just really feels like Chicago like it's like yes really 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 Chicago shit the light in them and the shadow and everything oh my God. The, and the cityscapes especially just like kill me like with and a lot of them have like McDonald's arches in the on the horizon yes. like I fucking love it oh he's got God. a bunch of um self portraits as well yeah yeah th- I mean I always love like, that across the board the stuff is like really great. Why, whenever I visit somebody's, I should have asked him this. Mm. I want to buy your stuff. How do I buy? 
How do yeah. I click add to cart? <laughs> for sale. There's a for sale, Lindsay. Do you see uh, like Bro, where it says cities? blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I do see. Oh, shit. The old style cover is sick. I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, do a portrait of Wanda. Totally could. The uh, the book he did with Tortoise, I wasn't just, I was not bullshitting him. Like, it really is beautiful. Um, oh, of course. I don't doubt that. I feel like, like I've seen it. Because it, it doesn't look like anything they've done. I mean, for one, like you said, hardback, and it has like that letterpress uh, thing. But do you remember when McSweeney's was doing books like this? Like they had, there were like a bunch of John Brandon books. I was just going like, to say John Brandon. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. Totally. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, it looks that nice. Like they're, they're of like the, this, uh, this Dimitri book is of the same quality for sure. It sounds like that's what he's doing with old style as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go Dimitri. Go Dimitri. Yeah. Very cool. And now I'm just going through all his cityscapes. They're so Me good. Me too. I know. I was just scrolling as he was talking. It's just like, these and it is amazing. like, if you want to know what it's like to live in Chicago. Yeah, totally. Look at these bad boys. What if you, what if you find your own house? That would be surprising. <laughs> okay. How was your, how was your week? <laughs> uh, Good. I think. Yeah. Good. Mm, I don't know. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. So the storm that happened today, right? Obviously. That's like, are you <laughs> huge, huge, uh, you know, effects work big time because mm-hmm. it's like, you I know, I was thinking about you as I shoveled. Cause I was feeling sorry for myself. And then I was like, oh, I bet it was hell at Alex's work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, just busy, you know? And, uh, so yeah, it was insane. And then they canceled the trucks for today mm. as a preemptive move, which is really smart because, it makes our lives easier. But uh, so, yeah, you know, work was kind of intense this week. Today, I, sh- I shoveled at four different places. Today was all about shoveling. Um, but Britt Brit and I got to spend some time together doing that. So that was our romantic date. That was oh, fun. Oh, well, well, well. I know, Early Valentine's Day. <laughs> that's like that's like two Valentine's Day's worth of activity for mm-hmm. sure. But uh, yeah, it was okay. It was an okay week, I guess. I, I am... I'm reading a book that I am currently in love with. So that's it? been fun. I'm reading True Grit for the first time. Oh my gosh. Oh, I haven't uh, read it either, but I have like oh a first God. edition in my nightstand that I need so, to. Yeah. Like Portis is one of those people, like when, when Old Open came out, several people who read it were like, oh, you would love Charles Portis. You would love Charles Portis. And I was yes. like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. And because when people recommend things to me, usually I'm like, I don't care, whatever. Not, <laughs> not that I don't care, but I that's just so like you. I'm just stubborn about it. I'm an Aww. asshole. And so finally I'm, I'm, I'm reading it now. And it's just like, it's, <laughs> you would fucking love it by the way. It's so good. It's amazing. Yeah. Ben has told me that before too, that I would love. Oh, is Charles Ben a big Portis fan? Yes. Oh, nice. Awesome. It's actually his copy of no the way. book and it's been awesome. in my nightstand forever. And I'm always like, Oh, I should start that one. And then I never do it. Nice. But I mean, maybe now I will. Yeah. How about your week? Hmm. It was pretty good. Uh, I got some work done. I got the manuscript that I'm working on right now over 50,000 words. So that was like oh, a nice. That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ooh, a little milestone there. But I'm <clears throat> like, I'm really uh, starting to think about how I want to edit. I started like the editing process, even though it's not technically like complete. How are you approaching it? I, I'm actually like, I've never done this before, but I'm, I'm using a spreadsheet, which cool. like, I think if someone had suggested I do that, I would be like, hell no. Like, right. what are you, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the only way I can kind of like, this is the, this is the, like the kind of novel that I kind of need to see everything at the same time, which right. is impossible. And mm-hmm. I know some people use like colored post-its, yeah. but that has never really made sense for what yeah, I'm working make on. Sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me for some reason. Like, I'm, it I looks think cool. it's cool. Oh, it yeah. looks amazing. <laughs> <Are> you- <laughs> but um yeah. So I started that process and um, like, I've always just edited my, my novels, like just by kind of going back through them and like mm-hmm. reading them again. And, and, right. you know, but this feels like a different kind of structure and a different kind of project. So I'm like, I'm kind of letting it like show me what it needs. Ugh. When Ugh. you say, uh, when you say spreadsheet, can you, what, what do you mean by that? 
I'm actually using a Google Excel spreadsheet, a Google, what is it? I guess it's called a Google spreadsheet. But in what way? How is it like? So each, you know, there's like, it's broken up into sections. And so I'm like saying whose perspective it is in that section. Um, And then sometimes, like, I think I mentioned this before, sometimes Jackie is first person and sometimes she's third person. And so I'm noting that because I don't know if that's going to stay or if it's important. And then like what's happening and then like uh, potential issues. Um, And then I'm also trying to track uh, like what we know of the murder because Mm. we get different details of it from, but you know, from different perspectives. And so I want to make sure that those make sense. I don't know. So that's how it started, but I know like um, as I was like typing up potential issues, I know that that's going to be like, like I might, I might stop doing that because it's leading me down a path that I don't necessarily want to go down. I want to make sure that I actually want to make sure that I keep thinking of Olive Kittredge. Have you read Olive Kittredge? No. It's, um, it's a, like a, it's, it's a novel, but it's a novel in stories and Olive Kittredge is either like a main character in each chapter, or she's like, someone like sees her as their, as their own story is unfolding. And so I keep thinking like, oh, it's all of Kittredge, but it's about a murder. <laughs> and so I want these sections to feel like as complete as a story mm-hmm. um, because that's how those chapters feel. Um, and and it, it lend it gives those characters like uh, such a depth and such like a, like a poignance. So that's the main thing that I want to keep track of as I'm going. I love that. It's uh I've never used that approach, like some kind of system to map out, you know, details or point of view switches or anything, but I completely understand the concept of needing to have the whole book in front of you or to have it all in your head because yeah, there is a point, even if you're just using that approach that you described uh, with that you use with past books where you're just going back through and reading and reading and reading, you do reach a point where you have it all in your head. And like, sometimes it it's, it slips. It's like very ephemeral. You'll have it for a it few is. days and yes. then, and then you'll kind of go back in and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't understand what I was doing here. And you, and you'll kind of have to read for a few pages to see what exactly the complete connection was something like that. But that really is like a magical feeling as you're editing to have everything in your head, because it's really hard to, it's really hard to get there with a novel. It is. It really is. And I remember when um, the novel that's out on submission right now, when my agent was like, how did you do this? Like, what, like, what were you like, can you tell me how you did this? And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> Right. but there was a moment when I did know, you know, yeah, and it's like, absolutely. I could get there again. I could, I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to read? I, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to read. I actually don't want to read either. Okay, great. Bye. <laughs> we release you, buttheads. <laughs> Next week, we're going to have quadruple reading. So, you know. Yeah. So hold on to your butts. Hold on to your, hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts, buttheads. Uh... I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. I'm I'm totally gonna do stuff like that when I'm when my kids are out of my house. Totally, just like I'm gonna like weird ass routines. Like Parker's gonna be like Towns, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Like. I cannot even tell you what mom's doing. So weird. Listen to what mom did. (laughs) (laughs) And Ben's going to be like, you know, know, your mom, she worked hard all her life. I don't know why he has a voice like that. All of a sudden he's right behind me. (laughs) 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 That's how he talks when he's old. Oh, well, you know, your mom. (laughs) It's funny to say it and then look at him. Uh, Anyway.